Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast, and indeed the final episode of the first series. I'm Tom Beasley, your resident Waterloo Road superfan, and I'm here with Luke Stevenson, your resident not Waterloo Road superfan. And I am angry, Tom. I feel like I've been duped. And why is that? So, circle back ten episodes ago, eight episodes ago, um, and... I wanted to call this show Epirode by Epirode. Mm-hmm. And you insisted on everything from nothing because you said it plays a major part in Waterloo Road. That phrase has not been said once. It is nowhere to be seen in this show. I've watched the whole series now diligently and there's nothing, nothing. You were not looking closely enough. That's all I'm saying. Um oh. <laughs> You will recall the ser- the scene from a couple of episodes ago in which uh, Tom Clarkson was sent to have a chat with Chloe to sort her out. They were sat on the school stage. Above them, a huge banner proclaiming the school motto, everything from nothing. No, I, I still think that's, that's prominently enough. <laughs> Look, anything to avoid <laughs> epirode by epirode. Literally anything. The long and winding epirode we've been on. <laughs> yes, and that long and winding epirode takes us to the beginning of this episode, which uses Green Day's Wake Me Up When September Ends. Okay, great song choice. It's so on the nose for a song about schools, though, isn't it? Because it's just like, oh, this is for the teachers, because, you know, the first month back is always the worst. Wake me up when September ends. Also, what part of the year... Is this in like I feel like school shows should last the entire length of the school year. These eight episodes feel like they've gone from the start of the year to the end in like no time. <laughs> I, it's yeah. The it's, timeline it's... in between the episodes is so scattered. It feels like on one hand, like Lewis Seddon was just cheating on some exams two weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. Meanwhile, Dante's been in prison for like I think we get it dated, don't we? We do. I think Dante, the judge in this has been in prison for three months. Yeah, Dante served three months on remand, so, so, so that's how long the show's lasted because it was the end of the first episode. But he wasn't directly arrested at the end of the oh, first no, he episode. Wasn't. He was there was said there was one. there was yeah maybe at most a month before that at most yeah. So we're talking. I was going to say like I was going to say as we we might look back more on the series at the end after we go through the run through, but like. It feels like a lot has happened, but there are probably three main storylines that all come to a head in this, and that's Dante, Izzy and Tom, and Lewis becoming more and more insane. Yes. And then there's kind of undercurrent of, is Waterloo Road going to stay open, which they kind of, I imagine, is going to become a theme of the last three episodes <laughs> of every series. <laughs> and sometimes the first three. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, Kim's arriving at school uh, for her hearing about the Lewis Seddon situation. There's an incredibly odd shot of Jack sort of looming in the window. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that. I feel like they do that to pay off later on when Lewis is like, you standing over us as if you're better than us. But it just looks like really creepy. It has vibes of, um, I think it's definitely Hallows Part 2, when you have the students marching in unison into Hogwarts and Snape is stood at the top. <laughs> And it's like they've done some really weird frames because, like we said last on the last episode, they handled the kind of like um, the the assault against Kim really well. We thought that whole storyline played out really nicely, but then they've done some really weird things with like how they frame scenes since. 
So they have the whole like Tom emerging from the shadows yes. to surprise Izzy, but that one being romantic. And in this one, you have a person who has been sexually assaulted walking into school under the looming eye of a powerful man. And I was like, people, people, can we think? Yeah. You see one person in the room to go, that looks strange. Yeah, it's an odd one. Um, so Kim arrives at school. Andrew comes in to try and sort of reassure her about what's going on. Um, she says, I could do without the whole tally-ho thing. And all I could think of was that if Andrew Treneman has a tattoo on his body, it definitely says tally-ho. <laughs> where? Where is it? Where is it say tally-ho? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's either... It's either his lower back or his lower midriff. <laughs> sort of directly up, like sort of Tiger King style. Like Yeah, like the, the pube line. It's def- it is definitely on the pube line. <laughs> the technical, technical tattooing. I think that is. That's what uh, he said when he, uh, when he walked into the tattoo parliament. I'll have one of your finest pube line tattoos, please, sir. <laughs> um... I love the, I'm not sure how much of this is going to be featured in the recap, but I love how like, I'm living scenes of this episode. Everything seems to have pivoted towards, in the last few episodes, like, when Grantley was supposed to be, like, the main, like, he's a union guy and he's a curmudgeon, he's getting away with murder. It's how the whole show is now pivoted towards all the teachers are fine, it is the people who check them who are wrong. <laughs> and, and that is quite outstanding after everything we've seen. <laughs> After literally a week ago, Cranley was calling a dyslexic child thick. <laughs> yeah, like, Trenman and Jack are stood in this hearing room being like, you know, God, you put teachers through hell and then you have to go through this. They don't understand anything. That's the way modern education works. And it's a running theme as well. But none of these teachers are interested in a fair trial. No. It's just, I think at one point Jack says something like, we can't just have a system where a child is taken on equal measure as a teacher. It's like, I feel like, you know, we all know Lewis is wrong, but I feel like that's a good system to have. (laughs) Yeah, we can't just assume all teachers are right all the time. I feel like believing children in the face of, like, adult authority is quite an important thing for us as a society to do. (laughs) But, like, in this school, they're just like, no, none of it. Well, well, we'll get to the way Jack reacts to the hearing because he's—it's quite unusual. Um, so, we, as you said, there's a lot of kind of storylines interweaving at the beginning of this. You've got—they're preparing for Dante's trial. Chloe asks if it's going to be like what you see on the telly. Nice little bit of fourth wall. We enjoy that. Um, it's going to be exactly like it is on the telly because the writers have never sat in a courtroom. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We'll get to this because some elements of it are massively theatrical and actually quite disarmingly real um so tom calls izzy to warn her that that lorna is back at school um she's been off sick for a week or so um she claims but actually it's because she was obviously troubled by what she'd seen between um uh, tom and izzy at the end of the previous episode um lorna uh, tells the staff room that tom and izzy are having an affair um at that point izzy walks in with frankly perfect timing um, to be slapped in the face by Lorna. Um, <laughs> at which point, just after, Tom tells her that we've now done the hard part and Izzy is not convinced. Tom gets over everything so quickly. He like he's, His life exists school day to school day. Yeah. And he's just like, if something, 
if something comes up in the morning, by God, am I done with it by the afternoon? So when the bell rings at three o'clock, his memory is just wiped. <laughs> yeah, it's like we've done the hard part. But it's also it's like when I loved how like that whole conversation is framed in the teacher's like is it is it too American to say lounge? What do we say here? Staffering. Staffering, <laughs> <Staffery>, right? <laughs> Series. Um, and um, it basically becomes like the reason they're all shocked that Tom is with Izzy and not with Lorna, it seems to boil down to attractiveness. <laughs> like, because Grantley immediately says, have you taken leave yeah, of your that's senses? That's a really bizarre bit. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think Steph says something along those lines of, you know, what's he getting from her that she's not getting from I you, etc. I think it's Grantley's sort of puritanical ideas that he should date within the English department. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, oh, there are enough English teachers at this school, Tom. Surely you could find one. What, what the hell is this school that it has three English teachers, <laughs> but one French teacher, and Kim, who doubles up as like the emotional behavioural counsellor and an art teacher? Yeah, no one teaches maths at this school. <laughs> they just, just don't bother. Um, <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, we start the court case uh, with Dante. He comes into the dock um, like an absolute rabbit in headlights. Um, there's a lot of kind of awkward cross-cutting between the two sort of hearings. So we cut from Dante's hearing to um, Kim giving evidence about the attack from Lewis. Um, Jack, from what I can gather, his role is just to sit in the hearing and unhelpfully yell occasionally. Yeah. As if, as if that's ever going to help. But like, it's the whole way it's kind of like framed is like, you know, Andrew, Andrew before the hearing is like, we really need you to go for it. And it's like, uh, again, we all know Lewis did everything wrong here, but you you feel like you you want her to make the story worse than what it was. Mm. It's like Jack and Andrew are just so committed to the idea of getting Lewis out of the school. They're just like saying, um, Kim, if you could say that he murdered your mum while he was yeah. in there as well, that'd be good. the whole hearing between um, the whole Kim part of the hearing. I found really weird. Like, just I understand again. You know, we circle back to the last episode, which I think you know handled things really well. I just she goes from being prepared to know exactly what she's going to say to just being willing to give it up and it feeds into that whole idea which is just like oh people who um all of the like government suits no one cares about teachers and what they go through here she is spilling her guts about this horrific incident and she's just gonna have to cut herself off halfway through because she's never going to get it the way that she wants she's never going to be believed because she's only a teacher and she's like i feel like they should have just she should have just kept going and said more of the story (laughs) rather than just give up halfway through well, I think the sad thing is that actually, you know, as soon as she found out that she was going to have to give evidence, she sort of struggled with that. I think mm. she never she never thought she was going to be believed. And so as soon as they started to really drill down and question her story, um, she sort of felt, I think, that the writing was on the wall and that she was not going to be believed. Overall, this episode features two of the worst prepared hearings <laughs> ever in the in the in the history of like legal action ever taken did people will look at this and just go what on earth are you thinking about because they don't even bring in like rory 
right? So in the course of this Kim hearing, I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but like, it's like the teacher says, oh no, the, the person who's investigating is like, oh, you, he said he could have taken off your bra. Yes. That means he's absolved. But also it's like, um, Lewis comes up with this wild accusation that she dragged him in there because she and, wanted to try and, and it all she, with him. she was, quote, snogging him and that. <laughs> yeah. And no one wants to bring Rory in, who's in the episode, yeah, right? Yeah, he's there. It's not like they only had the actor for one week. <laughs> he's in the episode. They could have brought him in to say, so did Lewis Seddon homophobically abuse you twice in that day? He goes, yes. He did this, and he headbutted me, and that's when she took him to the cooler. So he was already assaulting somebody in the minutes before he was taken to a private room where an alleged assault happened. In in fairness to the show, it's possible that they just uh, didn't show that. Uh, Tom, <laughs> they sh- they showed you they showed you Treadwell inspecting Steph's class in an episode with two court cases. <laughs> it had time a- to show you. There's a brilliant moment towards the end of the Kim hearing where Jack says, I'd like to say something. And you could see everyone in the room go, oh, no. <laughs> Please don't say something, Jack. <laughs> yeah, Lewis walks out with a knighthood somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, he just says something kind of platitude like Kim Campbell is Waterloo Road. I've got a note here which says Chaz Michael Michaels is for skating. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um <laughs> Uh, so while this is all going on, we get a scene of Lorna confronting Izzy, and I was distracted by throughout this entire scene because Izzy is in her drama classroom and she's stood next to the world's biggest cowboy hat. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. I was trying to work out: is it a cowboy hat or is it like a sombrero? I think it's just a big cowboy hat. I don't think it's a sombrero. It's massive. It was really distracting. What play could they be doing? <laughs> exactly. Just. No, I was truly baffled. Um, yeah, yeah, Wally so... Road is failing because all they do is reruns of Three Amigos. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were doing. But yeah, Lorna, Lorna confronts Izzy about sort of betraying her. Izzy says, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me, which given everything in her life, I've, says I've, a lot. I've got, literally got, I don't know, quote, this is the worst thing that has happened to me, end quote, your daughter is giving evidence in a trial where she has previously admitted <laughs> to the crime. <laughs> Today, it's it's yeah, it's an insane it's, thing for Izzy to say. This is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Your daughter might go to prison today because you know she accidentally caused the death of somebody else. There's a line later on. We won't. I don't think we'll get to the full scene. But there's, there's a line where Lorna talks to Tom, and they're talking about like arrangements for what they're going to do next. And Lorna brilliantly just delivers the line. Obviously, you'll have to find a different sofa to screw her on. And it's it's wonderfully delivered. And again, Tom is just like, I'm done with this, Lorna. We're going to be friends yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm with I'm with Izzy now. <laughs> the bell rang yesterday. It's all over. It's five to three. It's five to three. We're going to be friends, right? It's like again, like because I've got I've, I've got to get to the bit where I buy teenage girls alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's following the lead of the head teacher. Um, <laughs> But like, because I got a note earlier on, and I often feel like this in shows where it's like it's a confected level of anger. So if you follow the timeline of this, is Tom was not in love with Lorna way before he admitted to being in love with Izzy. Okay, from what yeah, we've seen we, in the show, when we met Tom, he was already not in love with her. That's I funny. think the first line he says is, "Let's cancel our wedding." Yeah, yes, like, and if not, that's the sentiment. 
yeah, yeah. So it, then they split up. Lorna runs around with fantasies that are going to get back together somehow. He moves on. I understand that this is a trying time for everybody. Yes. But the kind of like the circumstances in which this all happened, it was all above board, really, isn't it? Yes. So I kept finding the outrage and the stress of it all really weird because it was just that Lorna was convinced they were going to get back together somehow, despite the fact he told her numerous times he didn't love her. I think the one kind of convincing part of Lorna's anger is when she kind of went through it with Izzy to say, so you sent a man down the aisle with me who knew you knew was in love with you. And then when you were the only person I could talk to about having an abortion, you went and held my hand through that, knowing that you loved the man I was going to have that child with and that he loved you. Yes. I think that that's where you could be legitimately angry. But I don't think that anger is actually really to be directed at Dom. More, more justice for Dom's. <laughs> justice for Tom. He's just a normal bloke. And blokes just, be emotionally he just, unintelligent. <laughs> he, just, he just wants to play football and have sex on sofa. It's all literally all he wants from life. He just wants a flat Isn't near the football ground. Which football ground? <laughs> we don't know. Probably not Man City because they're in Rochdale. But... <laughs> He just, he just never fully processed Gareth Southgate missing that penalty. No, that's it. It was, it was destiny. I think is what he said. <laughs> so, at this point, we get, we get a couple of kind of comic interludes. We get, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, Andrew sort of assessing Steph's class. Um, she describes all teaching theories as guff. Um, at which point, she. Um, says she's going to do one of her vocabulary songs, sings a song about body parts, including her bum, which Andrew does not enjoy, it's fair to say. You should ask Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, have you related to anything in this show more than a French teacher doing French vocabulary songs? Uh, yeah, I, I vividly remember the birthday song that our French teacher did. Um, which was very much the highlight of <laughs> of all of our French education. I remember we had an alphabet one, um, which had like a, a bit of um, rhythm to it. Um, I'll see if I can find it. We can play it out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember no, we there had... is only one song that's playing out this episode, and we will get <laughs> to it. <laughs> uh, it looks like a b it's it's a really similar alphabet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's close. There's like a couple of weird letters where they like throw you a curveball. It's like, like pages ash or like yeah. ash jikai el mundo. Yeah, and and why is why is like ikreg or something like that? Yeah, which is a weird one that throws you off. But That's yeah, it. Cause it goes ikreg <laughs> and then we all just say lay alphabet, lay alphabet, lay alphabet. Oh. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Language teaching in this country is a disgrace. Um, <laughs> well, we have we, we have a brief other scene of teaching, which I wouldn't mention, but for the fact it features Janice Bryant's finest moment of this series. Um, they're having, is it, uh, dropping both of the T's in pottery? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's when, yeah, they're, 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 they're doing still life. She wants to be doing pottery. And she, with absolute sincerity, just says, I wanted to glaze my pot. <laughs> and it's the most petulant thing anyone has ever said about pottery. 
It is, it's truly wonderful. Um, but naturally, Kim has other things on her mind. Um, there's then quite an awkward segue where we cut directly from Steph Haydock's Carry On Francais song to Chloe <laughs> giving evidence in a Death by Dangerous driving trial. Yeah. And also, again, call me a funny daddy, just do your bloody tie-up, Chloe. <laughs> like, this is the moment, right? Dante's put on a suit. Do your tie-up. Come on. They can't do it. They're pathologically unable to do uniform properly. <laughs> and again, like in terms of like poorly prepared, um, you know, just court cases, where's the lorry driver in all this? Because the thing that I keep thinking back to is it's like a four-way crossing. You don't see who's running what light. No. So at no point is it established that Dante ran a red light. No. It's just he, he caused a crash. But it's like he got sideswiped by a lorry. Both cars were going so fast. Yeah. I like the way I, you've, like, zapruded the first episode of Waterloo Road. <laughs> <laughs> Find out what happened. Yeah, there's, so Chloe's giving her evidence. There's a bit where the prosecutor kind of twists what she says. And Chloe tries to call it out, but the judge tells her off. At which point the prosecutor does an evil lawyer smile. Oh, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> lawyers be evil. <laughs> She's twisting it. And she's just <laughs> she's like, twisting. yeah. Take that, 14-year-old. I just outsmarted you. <laughs> I went to Durham Uni, mate. Did law. <laughs> Everything fine. Um, we then go back to the school where Ms. Davenport, whose name they're still overpronouncing, um, <laughs> delivers the results Jack of the... is going to go. <laughs> reveals the uh, results of the panel. They um, are minded to believe Kim's story, but they are only issuing a 15-day exclusion to Lewis Seddon uh, because there's a suggestion that she might have taken him to the cooler for other reasons. But then, um, like, certain, like, if they even have a hint of believing that suggestion, yes. then she should be fired. Yes. Okay, so we, it's, it's a he said, she said, and we believe that he both assaulted you and you took him there to seduce him. Yeah. So call it even. All's fair, right? I thought, what, like, what Jack does after? Well, but before that, we get Andrew rushing to comfort Kim. And he does perhaps my favourite line of the episode, where Andrew goes, I'm no fan of Lewis either. He did throw a brick at me, remember? <laughs> and you go, he did throw a brick at you, Andrew. <laughs> it's, it's like... But again, Andrew's like, not now, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of not now, Andrew, in this episode. <laughs> I've also got, to, like, to bring a little levity, is um, when Kim says, your mystery zeal is really annoying. Um, I've written that down as your mystery zeal is really annoying, title of your sex tape. <laughs> We've already established that the title of Andrew's sex tape is Tally Ho. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Um, so, as you say, uh, Jack takes some quite questionable actions after this. Um, they draft this odd letter about Kim and Lewis where they seemingly reveal that Kim has been sexually assaulted, which is a, a bad thing to do. Don't break the anonymity of sexual assault victims. Yeah. Um, there's there's a, a weird shot of Estelle when she's about to type the letter where she, like, limbers up to start typing. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how difficult she finds it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, the the letter's an odd choice. Um, it pays off, though. They receive lots of letters about how evil um, Mrs. Seddon is, and that is effectively used to blackmail her into taking Lewis out of the school. Yeah, I just... 
like I said, we all know Lewis did wrong. No one's defending Lewis. But still, the public lynch mob is quite excessive. And also, Trenoman is sat in the room when this happened. He has probably been told by Kim 18 times since the assault happened that the worst, that this getting out everywhere is the worst possible outcome. Yes. And like, only in maybe, yeah, maybe in a pre WhatsApp, pre Facebook age, people read the letter from their head teacher and go, I believe every word of this. Yeah. And not immediately go to some social media to say it was all her fault. Um, and then people just write. And then the head teacher is then you know willing to believe any of the number of accusations about Lewis Seddon's mum that's just sent <laughs> into him. Yeah. Well, there's a great Janice line while they're handing out the letters where she sums it up very eloquently by saying, what would you rather have, a rapist or a really good teacher? <laughs> Which, you know, it's a fair question, and I think we all know the answer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. she, really, she really boils it down. Yeah, there's, there's no chance. And, like, it's got to, like, play off as, like, you're facing disciplinary action for that. He should be fired for that. Yeah, because... so Miss, Mrs. Seddon <laughs> brilliantly declares to Lewis, I should have drowned you at flaming birth. <laughs> <laughs> so, as if that was going to improve their perception of her character. But yes, that again, is... I think we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Davenport very um, strongly implies that Jack's going to face some sort of disciplinary action for this, particularly as he signed the letter A teacher. Because <laughs> he's a clever guy. <laughs> but um, she also reveals at that point um, that Waterloo Road is staying open. Hooray. So that's that's where that is. The teachers all, the teachers all go off to celebrate, which we'll get to later. But, like, she walks in, she says, Jack, you sent a uh, a letter unfounded, like, you know, again, unfoundedly accusing a 16-year-old of raping a teacher. A letter she seems to be keeping in a sort of evidence bag. <laughs> to, you sent this to everybody in the community. It has thus created unamount, un- unimaginable amounts of turmoil for that family's life. Um and by the way, we are now going to keep your school open because we think it's great. It's like he just launched a lynch mob on a on a person we can all agree is an objectionable human being yes. who deserves punishment. But like, they're kind of just like, ah, well, tallyho, all's well that ends well. Tallyho, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's another tallyho moment later on which I am all day baffled <laughs> by. <laughs> So um, we go back at this point to the uh, death by dangerous driving trial. There's some more solicitoring where um, uh, the I find this a lot in TV shows and films. The at the end of a period of questioning, the no further questions is always delivered like it's a mic drop. Yeah, in my experience, no lawyer will be that confident. Yeah, in in my experiences of attending court cases, that line is not a mic drop. That is just a signal to the judge to let them know you have finished. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like I I believe really that solicitors do not, in these circumstances, want to leave anything open to interpretation. So asking a question that causes a fourteen-year-old to fumble and then going, "No further questions. My work (laughs) is done. No further questions." Thank you, everyone. I think you can draw your own conclusions there. If that barrister has a tattoo, <laughs> it says no further <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I googled this, but this is a ju- like this is a juvenile case, right? He's 16. Yes. Why is there a jury? 
Like, the first thing when they opened it, I was like, why is there a jury for this case? Why on earth is there one? And I Googled, do you have juries in juvenile courts in this country? And you don't. So unless you can shed any light on that, because if he was tried as an adult, what he's found guilty with would absolutely have led to prison time. So it must have been juvenile. Um, I, so, I, I can't shed any light on it. I suggest they probably just didn't check. <laughs> they, in fact, no, that, that's unfair. They probably did check and went, for the purposes of drama, we need it to be a jury because we can't explain juvenile court to the audience. I imagine is what they did. No, but, but, like, the judge, the judge is pointed as hell in her closing statements, right? Yeah, we well, see, that's, just, like, that's what I wanted to mention. Um, so... Uh, as as we can we can establish that the Dante is found guilty of, of of death by causing death by dangerous driving. No, no, no. But even before that, before she sends the jury out to do their deliberations, because apparently this is you know the people versus O.J. Simpson, um, <laughs> she says she says you know uh, the trial. So the basic evidence that we hear is that Dante was driving. Chloe got him out of control of the car, yeah. and then in summing up, the judge says. What you need to prove, like, the person who is responsible is the person at the wheel, whether they are in control or distracted or not. So you have to pr- you have to find whether this means Dante's guilty. It's like, you've just told us he's guilty. <laughs> I guess, though, all, I guess, All though, of these people who have given up two weeks of their work to come and stand here, <laughs> these you, non-legally trained people have just seen a judge say, Dante's guilty, and you're now sending them out to deliberate. I mean, I guess... I guess that is what the law says, and the role of the judge is just to say what the law says. And so if the law says the person in control of a car, you can then... I guess the question to deliberate would be, is he... You know, is she taking control of the car, and therefore would you say she's guilty? But you can't obviously say that. There's a lot of strange things where they say things they can't say because they're essentially trying to try Chloe, even though she's not on trial. There's a lot of things that this this case struggles with. I think the nuances of the court system, particularly the youth court system, are rather <laughs> lost on this show. <laughs> but yes, it's, yes he's, right. he's found guilty. Um, and the thing I wanted to say is that the judge's sentencing remarks, I think, are actually pretty solid written sentencing remarks. They've obviously looked through actual sentencing remarks and put something together. So... Kudos to them for that. Credit where credit's due. Very well written, um, I thought that. With the exception of the fact they don't mention in sentencing the fact he's changed his plea more times than he's changed his trousers. Yeah, yeah. She said, she goes, you, and you finally admitted full responsibility. He changed his plea. Yeah, he changed his he plea at not, least twice. <laughs> he pled not guilty at the end, though, because he said Chloe was going to come and... Yes. You know, he was going to blame Chloe for it, basically, which he should have done, obviously. But, like, you've admitted full responsibility. No, he didn't. He, he opened up with admitting full responsibility. Yeah, and then he, after the fact, said, he, 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 uh, admitted, he admitted it on the stand, though. Yeah, yeah, but still. So, yeah, it's a strange one. <laughs> so he's, he's given an 18-month suspended sentence. She doesn't say how long it's suspended for. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> can, can you tell that we're two journalists who've covered courts? Which... <laughs> it's... <laughs> Um, yes, they say because he's already served three months on remand, there's no no benefit to him serving any more prison time. I don't follow the logic of that, if I'm honest. Well, especially I, as far as I know, this may not be the case now. The maximum sentence for death by dangerous driving is 10 years in prison. So from 10 years in prison to an 18 month suspended sentence is pretty crazy, especially as he was drinking. 
and yeah. made no attempt to stop the car, we learn. So there's and a lot like, of aggravating the, factors. And and the fact that he was trying driving illegally, he yeah. was he's not, not got legally permitted to drive. Yeah. And that like that's what makes me think, oh he has to be been tried as a juvenile, but then there was a jury there. <laughs> yeah. Not very realistic, but at <laughs> least also, the, I feel like at least the storyline is over. <laughs> but like as one of three of the, like the major storylines of this season, it kind of felt like series, without stakes. Series. series, sorry. It feels like without stakes to have just had, um, you know, the punish the punishment you have is the punishment you've learned across, along the way. That's like it's like you know, maybe my punishment was just the friends I made along the way. It was really just a little bit of a damp squib kind of thing. I wanted like I wanted to be one of those like hella twists where Chloe is sent to prison for 40 years. <laughs> well, they do a weird thing afterwards where they appear to get engaged, which is very weird engagement timing. Well, like, because I thought as well as like, Dante, you've just gone off really lightly for causing death by dangerous driving and now you want to get engaged to a minor in the same court. <laughs> Literally in the building. <laughs> within within eyeline of Chloe's mother, who definitely does not approve. <laughs> the, the arrogance of that. Yeah, and you're like... At the end, Izzy's just like, oh, they're hugging, it's all fine, Ugh, it's all grey, whatever. It's like, she's literally never for a second approved of Dante up until the moment he was found <laughs> guilty of the crime. <laughs> well, Izzy talks a lot about truth in this episode, <clears throat> and she seems to put the fact he told the truth ahead of the fact that he caused someone's death by dangerous driving. It's an yeah. unusual moral compass, um, but we know that Izzy, bless her, has had a tough time. <laughs> You know, she had a she conversation. Had a she had a conversation next to a cowboy hat earlier that was the worst moment of her whole life. <laughs> so the stakes are high. Um, there's some Lorna stuff going on at the same time as this, but I think we'll handle all of that at the end. Yes, I had another thing. So when Dante goes over and apologizes to Adam's sister, yes. she says um, Adam wouldn't have wanted you to go to prison. That line happens in so much, and it's such nonsense because, like, Tom, right now I don't want you to go to prison. Yeah, thank but... you. If you, my, if you cause my death by dangerous driving, I'd bloody consider it. <laughs> if next time I'm driving you back from the snooker club. <laughs> Don't make us out to be those people. <laughs> so, um, that's where we leave, uh, leave the trial. Um, so, Andrew has gone to, um, to break the good news to Kim that Lewis Seddon is not coming back to the school because Mrs. Seddon doesn't want to get done for various scams. And so has taken her, um, <laughs> her son out of school. Um, Kim brilliantly shuts... Because Andrew's like, oh, we're all going to the, the pub to celebrate the school staying open. Come with me, we'll go and have a drink. And Kim brilliantly just shuts him down by saying she's watching Murder, She Wrote, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, and the way she phrases it is like for tips. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's doing an episode by episode murder she wrote podcast. Oh, absolutely. That's what I do with that free time. Um, um, he then corrects her grammar, which, as we know, devastatingly sexy. <laughs> oh, tally ho! <laughs> tally ho! They they have a kiss. Um, he goes inside brilliantly. She says, "Who do you think you are, James Bond?" And from his face, he definitely does. One thing I do want to like kind of circle back to is when they get told that the school isn't closing. Yeah. Jack then says, we need to get Kim. She's won this for us. And Andrew says the same thing to her on the steps is like, 
it's staying open because of you. And it's just like, can we not make a success out of this woman's being sexually assaulted, please? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a rough one, isn't it? Because they're just like, oh, if that hadn't happened, we would be on the chopping block. But now we've got the community to rally around it because yeah, we out we because... your sexual assault yeah. to everybody you know and live with, live around. <laughs> Especially because it's not because of that. It's because Jack's been flirting with Ms. Davenport for three weeks. And there's a house system. Oh, yeah. Don't forget the house system. Tally-ho. <laughs> Um, so we cut to the pub where all the teachers are drinking, but Jack is still at work for some reason. <laughs> all right, at night, okay? So if we're going to believe the timeline of the show, this is happening in July, it does not get dark until about half nine. I know things are different up north, but still. <laughs> the weather systems are not dramatically different. <laughs> it, gets, it gets darker earlier than further north you are, Tom. <laughs> That's just science. <laughs> there's a um there's a fantastic scene briefly to return to andrew and kim where um kim's got all dressed up to go to the pub and andrew negs her so hard no what a prick about her clothes like oh it's not like what you usually wear to school when you look like <laughs> <laughs> but like it's also like he does himself in there because we're at school it's difficult to uh to um distinguish you from the students it's like but andrew you've already admitted to falling in love with her while at school <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult one um <laughs> don't do that so, i prefer you in school uniform <laughs> it's not a line a teacher should say <laughs> tally and indeed ho um <laughs> yeah. so we go we go back to the school where jack is there's this bizarre bit of musical score straight out of a western um as as Lewis approaches and and hits him from behind, knocks him out. Um, we have previously seen him uh, siphoning petrol from his um, his bike. Um, Lewis begins pouring... moped. Don't don't dignify a moped by calling it a bike. <laughs> Lewis pours petrol all over Jack. Jack tries to bribe him with booze. Hilariously, <laughs> like even in that moment, he's like me burned alive. He's like, for God's sake, just let me drink. <laughs> Uh, uh, literally any excuse with jack <laughs> uh, until fabulously steph haydock who has presumably come to sing carry on francais to him um arrives just in time <laughs> blasts lewis with the fire extinguisher and jack just sparks him out with one punch <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel like after she incapacitated him with the fire extinguisher he didn't actually need to punch a child in the face <laughs> he has been gagging to punch a child in the face the whole series <laughs> To be fair, I remember saying in an earlier episode, it's like I remember going to school and there were teenagers who obviously you know, like obviously when I was a teenager, there were other teenagers I went to school with who I wanted to be punched in the face by a teacher, but it just never happened. Yeah. And in this moment, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, get it, get and it. We sir. already know there's a zero tolerance policy for violence against teachers, and what we just didn't know is that the punishment is you get punched in the face. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you not listen in my assembly, Lewis? <laughs> the policy is if you hit us, we hit back. <laughs> so here's the thing that I find completely insane about this, right? It's not the fact that a 16-year-old has escalated from cheating on an exam to sexually assaulting a teacher and then trying to burn another one alive yeah. in the space of about three weeks. It is the fact that mere minutes later, Jack and Steph were at the pub. Right, right. It's it's minutes of screen time. It's clearly quite some time because they talk about the police having been. But like, 
a ch someone just tried to burn somebody alive. Someone with a prior sexual assault allegation just attempted to burn someone alive and they've already been released from their statements. I was like, how are they not still with the police? I always walked in as well. It's just like, and you're just so like waving off like, oh, Lewis just tried to burn me alive. Yeah, in my class. They, they get over it very quickly. They're in quite very good spirits by the time they get to the pub. It was just like, I don't think I'd ever recover from that amount of trauma. Yeah, whereas An Andrew turns up at the pub with Kim and Andrew is glowing insufferably. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a little exchange with Grantley where they, they Andrew's like, oh, cheer up, Grantley, we've saved the school. And Grantley says, it's not your school, you're an alien. And Andrew quite solemnly says, not anymore. <laughs> That's it. He's oh, one of another earlier, like, good Grantley moment when Jack goes into the staff room to tell them all that the school's not been uh, shut down and there's like a kind of jibe about the idea of Grantley being fired and I feel like at that moment the actor breaks it feels like it was like an <laughs> improv and the actor has no idea how to respond to that or <laughs> just Grantley's just like what? <laughs> People don't think I'm good? <laughs> so when um, Jack turns up with Steph at the pub Ms Davenport who has been waiting for Jack um, decides that he, she now thinks that he's sleeping with Steph because they need a way to write her out of the show for the next series. Mm -hmm. um, so Izzy has turned up at the pub with the girls. Uh, Tom immediately buys them booze when she says no. <laughs> well, like Tom, at some point, like has a chat with them with Chloe. It's like Izzy, the love of your life, etc. Yes, they're good girl. They're good girls. Yeah. Chloe has been in court today. <laughs> Literally hours prior. <laughs> hours prior, admitting to causing the death of another child. And Tom's just like, they're good girls, aren't At they? At least she didn't try to burn anyone alive. It's all about perspective. It's all oh. about perspective. You know, Lewis didn't succeed. <laughs> he did hit Andrew with a brick. Yeah, I know, but Lewis didn't actually cause the death of another person. Chloe did, but suddenly in Tom's life, they're good girls, aren't they? <laughs> They go on a bit of a... on your arm, Chloe. Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't talk about that. That was that was character development. That doesn't count. Um, we get in the background of the pub scene. Uh, they go a bit Oasis crazy in the last third of this episode. <laughs> so Lila by Oasis is playing in the background at the pub, which I will only remember because it was on one of the FIFA games. Uh, there are lots of songs. The Veronica's Untouched is the best ever song to be featured on a FIFA game. It's fit, but you know it by the streets, surely. That's a, that's a long time ago, Tom. Mid-noughties. Mid 2003, yeah. 2004. FIFA 09 was Veronica's Untouched. See, I don't think I was playing FIFA by then. Um, so let's talk about Lorna. Um, so early, oh. earlier in the episode, um, we get another Oasis song. We get Let There Be Love. Um, as she leaves school very solemnly, she throws her sort of school bag in the bin. Um, we get voiceover as she walks through washed out streets. <laughs> We get, you know, she's doing a note where she says, you know, I'm not coming back to school. I'm going away for a while. I'm going to find myself a gorgeous new man and start a new life. Um, uh, Tom and Estelle have a very insensitive conversation where Estelle goes, she's not depressed, is she? Um, Estelle, as you know, she doesn't have much time for Lorna. In episode one, she was talking about her migraines. Like, oh, migraines. Um, <laughs> like that line feels like the show just kind of like giving a little nudge in the direction of like 
competently writing about mental health issues. Yes. And then the idea of an ongoing, um, like an ongoing experience with a mental health condition, rather than just what this episode does, which is some bad things happen and a person throws herself off a bridge. Yeah. So she's sort of after the pub scenes, we see her sort of sitting mournfully by the canal. Um, the kissing you theme from Baz Luhrmann's terrible Romeo and Juliet movie plays. Um, it's 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 one of the worst musical choices I've ever heard in anything. Really oh. jarring. Between this and the strange Western music over the attack scene, this episode was rough for whoever was doing the music. Um, oh. So she sat mournfully by the canal. She looked directly into the water and... All I could think of was in Ralph Breaks the Internet when the princesses say, look into special water and your song will come. Oh, God. And I just thought, oh, God, she's going she's gonna to burst into a song. That's the level we're at here. She looks, you know, sadly into the canal, the terrible music's playing, and the last image of the episode is her seemingly jumping into the canal. Um, it's fair to say this is the least sensitive portrayal of like a suicide attempt i've seen in in a long time yeah because like again they just don't do the groundwork and maybe this might be a very mid-noughties thing there's lots of mid-noughties things about this episode you know like seddon's mother so the the scouse character's mum is a benefit cheat yeah like you can't get more mid-noughties and that kind of stereotype yeah um and maybe this is just kind of like rooted in its time where I don't think we'd ever kind of permit this now because no. essentially the function of what's happened here is a woman has had bad, like bad things happen and she has decided to attempt to commit suicide, which is like now what we would expect from a show is, you know, to have a kind of, I think we were ha- having this conversation with you when we, when I saw a star is born, the new one. Yes. Cause I said that that, ending didn't feel earned because it kind of just felt like oh a another individual was able to just push someone into that circumstance without them ever kind of having the yeah. the feelings built into the and, character and it's telling that that is based on a very very old story yeah whereas um, it, this is like you don't get these feelings and again you know it's it's a complex area you know these these thoughts these feelings are entirely visible but we can only judge um what this show is offering us from her which is that she seems it presents her as totally on top of everything up until this moment which again is in the real in the real world people present as being on top of things and they're really not that's fine but we spend intimate moments with her where this is just not showcased at all and it therefore it feels very kind of just like uh we need we need a big finale for it we'll have this character whose um husband has left her um we'll have her kill herself or attempt to and it's it's, as you say it's very mid-naughty soap opera storytelling (laughs) especially with the the music cues and the way it's shot like the shot of her when they're doing the voiceover of the note and she's walking through the streets and all the cinematography's grey. And it's it's such a cliche. And like you say, it's this thing of what should we do when we need a big finale moment? It doesn't feel earned. And I think that's the problem. 
because it doesn't feel earned, the way it's handled kind of plays as unintentional comedy in a way that really sits awkwardly with the big themes being dealt with. And, you know, we've we've complimented the show in recent weeks for, you know, the way it dealt with elements of the, the sexual assault storyline. And one of the things that will become prominent the more we talk about Waterloo Road is actually it deals with a lot of youth issues very authentically and very well. Like, even a few episodes back, we talked about... Um, the lad who's a young carer for his disabled mother. Yes. So actually that was dealt with very sensitively and very well. And that's kind of a running theme with the show where the issues affecting the kids are actually dealt with very sensitively and very well. But for the most part, with the exception of the Kim storyline, a lot of the issues affecting the adults are very soapy, very melodramatic and very mired in cliche rather than intelligence and depth. Yeah, it is just... It does feel like people searching for an ending to a show. And, like, you know, again, caveating this with all of everything that we know now and that, you know, people don't have to present one way to be feeling another. That's totally, you know, it's baked into everything that we know now about it. But, again, this is a, a drama about a person, a drama about a group of people. If you, if she's going to do this at the end, we as an audience need to understand the motiva- motivations that you know we in real life might not get from people around us and people we know and love because those are personal things. But the whole point of a TV show is to invite you into people's lives to understand what's going on with them and understand the drama that's happening around them. And this kind of just feels like, you know, it's a, a mel- melodrama playing out, which I, I suppose Waterloo Road is. It's very heightened. And we say that you know, the issues they don't handle well is they just pick an issue and smash at it. Yeah as much as they can but it doesn't even feel like they're they're picking an issue here no it doesn't feel like they're looking into depression and suicide yeah it's it's suicide as a dramatic device yes not as a theme to do because you can you can attempt to tell a story about it and do it poorly but at least then you're attempting to do it in the right way whereas here they're like okay so everything's happy families now we need something to hang over the start of the next season and it's going to be series series and what I will say is, are they or aren't they dead is a series finale trope that Waterloo Road will return to over and over again. Oh, good. Because it's, it's, it's just a cheap way to hook the series. You know, whether you're Waterloo Road or Game of Thrones, it's, it's a cheap way to make sure that people will watch. Or, you know, Sherlock when Cumberbatch did it. Like all that, it always, you know, there's, that's how it keeps you watching is by that very cheap dramatic device. So that is series one of Waterloo Road. Luke, thoughts? That was a, it was a big eight episodes. Yeah. You, you really feel the BBC's lack of adverts in this show. <laughs> some episodes are so long. The I episodes think, where it's palpably filler are so yeah. long. <laughs> I think there was a note I did last week where we did either six or seven where I just said, this episode is going on. <laughs> Um, because you know it's, as we said this in episode one it's it's not a channel four hour where it's like 45 minutes it's a bbc hour where it's 58 or 59 minutes every week it's grueling <laughs> yeah so yeah you feel it when it's uh when it's when it's a when it's uh yeah a difficult one or a, a filler one where they've not got loads of story occasionally we get lovely stories like andrew and steph going to the museum which i genuinely enjoyed and and I feel like the show has time for those moments because 
they're not usually telling many big overarching stories. Like as like there were like three big overarching stories here, and like one of them was established two weeks ago. Yeah, it's. I think you know. Hopefully, with say hopefully with a longer season series, series. Um, <laughs> with a longer series, they might be able to do a bit more of the kind of episodic things that are quite interesting jump in and out of because the longer ones feel a bit overall. I feel like we've changed. We've seen Dante and Chloe change their minds episode by episode for about four weeks in the middle. Um, the Izzy and Tom relationship I don't think is eight is an eight episode arc. No. Really. <laughs> Especially no. when we when we know from day one they want to be together and, and, and the Tom, show so strongly wants them to be together. <laughs> yeah. Even though as all of the teachers say, apparently Izzy is disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, they have so much sympathy for Izzy throughout the series, where all that she's going through, you know, with Jimmy and with the girls and the with the trial, and then the moment she she you know gets in the way of Lorna and Tom, star-crossed lovers that they are, she's suddenly the Carol Baskin of Waterloo Road. <laughs> Need to get these episodes out before that meme gets old. <laughs> so yes, do you? What are your hopes? I think for series two. I hope that I hope that Lorna's there, at least for the start of it. Um, I don't kind of want the end of her character to be kind of done in that kind of like as cheap a way as the show did it. I feel like there is something that can be explored there if they want to, you know, use that as a starting point for discussing mental health and the impacts that these kind of events can have. I think that's like an interesting space. I do hope that she's there. Um, I feel like the school needs a maths teacher. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of like I have a feeling Steph Haydock as a character is going to run and run but I, I am kind of exhausted by her I feel like Steph Haydock is a kind of conduit for the target audience of this show which is mainly like middle aged women um, so middle aged women uh, accidentally putting the BBC on before The Apprentice <laughs> yeah yeah so therefore she's going to be like the the big character and, and also and, Denise Welsh is possibly the most famous person in the show yeah yeah, I remember, like, I was, for a long time afterwards, she was, like, a thing as a result of being in this. But she was famous before as well, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, I mean, Jill Halfpenny, who's Izzy, was quite a famous soap actress before this. But I think other than those few, it's quite a sort of cast of unknowns. Yeah, because Tom is, you know, decisive in his not being Richard Armitage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a kind of a sliding doors moment between the actor who plays Tom and Richard Armitage. <laughs> So, there we are. We've reached the end of Series 1. Series 2 will be coming soon. Uh, in, in in the meantime, tally-ho. And in, 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 yeah, enjoy your time on, on, on Waterloo Road. And uh, yes, we will be back soon with more from Rochdale's most constantly at threat of closure school. Can't wait. Tally-ho.